0: Welcome to God's Word During Exile, we're a group of pastors that study God's Word together and decide to post it on Facebook. We record these episodes live, so if we say anything wrong, they're there. Forever. Forever, which I think gives us a level of accountability, and I think that's great. You guys can hear us wrestling through text and sharing our honest opinions and realize that they are completely unedited in every single way. Yep. Which is nervous. And that's why
1: you do all the talking,
0: Natal. Yeah, well, that's why when we talk about most of the stuff, I'm just a good intro guy. When it comes to all the other stuff, I just can kind of interject a little thing. Um, But mostly I just listen, which is good. So today I find myself in the lavender fields. Welcome in. I hope that this brings a little calming uh, relief to all of our listeners and to you guys as well take that deep breath in through your nose but you might not be able to because of allergies <clears throat> there it is it's here and uh we're enjoying it um so mike i'm just so encouraged today because i watched last week's episode and i actually did you did I didn't lie to you. I, I actually got yeah. where all the boxes were. And, I, I have uh, been
2: known to lie to you, but I didn't do it last time.
0: And it was a good <laughs> it was a good thing. So I don't think I don't think I'm going to uh do the boxes this week because I just want to live another week in the <laughs> picking the boxes perfectly. <laughs> going so out have, on top. Uh feel free to covet me. And uh actually you probably should Do what you did there see, yeah, i brought it fully back around so uh i'm living in the point boxes in fact anybody else want to point at boxes and try to guess who's where
3: i uh, you know i can't live up to the standard you've set my
2: darn tootin <laughs> and i'm cheating because i'm the one recording i know where everybody is
0: <laughs> so that's about it and uh we're happy that you're all here also super encouraged we got an email on God's Word During Exile at gmail.com. All one word. And it was just such a great, encouraging email. And uh thank you to our listeners for spurring us on and continuing moving us forward. And we're doing this for you guys, uh, glorifying God as we go. And we hope that you find benefits in it. And we would love to hear from you too. Uh, especially if you have any questions or you just want to tell. Matt Nelson, how good looking he is! We'll take all those emails. There it is. All right, we there are, are going to be uh, none of those emails. Here we get ready. <laughs> we are going to finish the Ten Commandments today.
2: We don't even have plans to read Luther's conclusion to the Ten Commandments today. You're a crazy person. Give it,
0: give it a throw, babe. <laughs>
3: guaranteed. It's been guaranteed. <laughs>
0: I've been wrong before. I'll be (laughs) wrong again. (laughs) That's where we're at. Let's study God's word.
2: All right. Ben, would you open us up in a word of prayer today?
3: Both.
2: Let's pray.
1: Heavenly Father, thanks for uh, this day that you've given to us. And thanks for this time that we can take to uh, consider Uh, your word once again and just ask that you would uh, be at work as we discuss the issue of of coveting and uh, that you would convict us of sin where necessary and that you would also uh, comfort us with
2: christ for us in your name we pray amen 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 and matt do you have your catechism in front of you i do would you mind uh, just reading the ninth and tenth commandments for us again and uh, their meaning, just to kind of put us in our context, because that's where we're living today. That's All the right. wrong one, Natal.
0: <laughs> Are is there really wrong ones? Like realistically, no, no. It's just
2: not the text that Matt's going to read. He's going to read from this. Yeah. Point.
0: What if we read it at the same time and we see what their difference is? You ready? ready Let's try it. Let's try it.
3: All right. Why don't you mute yours while you do that? (laughs) All right. The ninth command. Uh, You shall not covet your neighbor's house. What does this mean? We should fear and love God so that we do not scheme to get our neighbor's inheritance or house or get it in a way which only appears Right but help and be of service to him in keeping it. The 10th commandment. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. What does this mean? We should fear and love God so that we do not entice or force away our neighbor's wife, workers or animals, or turn them against him, but urge them to stay and do their duty.
2: All right. Awesome, Matt. Thank you. So last week we did a pretty good job, got a good start on these, talking about them. But we were left with a few questions uh, connected to the commandments that we really wanted to get covered today. Um, one of the big ones and one that's probably going to take most of our time today is the idea of contentment. What do the ninth and tenth commandments have to say about uh, being content with with what God has gifted us?
3: seems like the thing that's being spoken against here, and it could be rephrased as, you know, do not be discontent or do not wish you were in your neighbor's place with his stuff. Um, And so when we try to find, you know, the, what would be the positive example of, you know, not coveting, it would be to be content with what you have, right?
2: Whether it's a whole lot of stuff or a little stuff, doesn't matter. Being content with what God has blessed you with, right? Mm-hmm.
0: I think that this these two commandments go hand in hand with thou shalt not steal, too. When you think about it, stealing comes at a point where people don't trust that the Lord's going to provide. In the same way people covet the things that they don't have... And oftentimes they are, they don't look positively towards what they do have. And, Mm -hmm. and we can see that like with electronics, it's very easy to make this illustration with electronics where we see somebody with a a new cell phone, the new iPhone, um, a laptop, something along those lines. And we think to ourselves, well, I really, I want that. When in fact, like you might have the last generation iPhone that works for what you need it to. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it's and it been perfectly fine up until you saw that person who has the other. And now all of a sudden you're like, well, this thing that I have, it's now obsolete. It's no longer good. And I'll be honest with you. I, I am guilty of that. Power tools, totally guilty of that. I mean, they're Legos, totally guilty of it. I mean, there's... Mm-hmm. There are countless things where Satan tries to creep in and say, Mike, you you should you should have that. You deserve that. You should get that. And I need to just kind of step back and be like, "Okay, is this something that I legitimately do not already possess the ability to do it? So, like, if I want to cut down a tree, if I already have a chainsaw, am I just coveting? a newer chainsaw because i want an electric one as opposed to a gas one and so i always kind of ask myself like is there a purpose to this or is it just that i want the newest thing or am i physically incapable of doing what i need to do and that that can transcend a lot of things um if we were to step back and realize how blessed we are not just as not just as us as personal but also like us on a national level we are some of the wealthy even the poorest people in the united states are some of the wealthiest people in the world and Mm -hmm. i don't say that to like downplay so just deal with it but i say that to point out like there are literally people who have to walk miles to get to clean drinking water
3: right
0: and we can turn on a faucet
3: yeah but, Mike, I mean, the one time you cut a tree down every 10 years, you could do it 10 seconds faster if you had the better chainsaw.
2: It's yeah. true. And I know every time <laughs> I hold up my cheap Android phone and pull out the stylus, you covet. Dude, how percent cool
0: my that. phone is. Look at phone, man, 100% covet. <laughs> uh,
3: Guys, you got,
0: this is case in point right now. Now I don't even know if I can finish the study because my mind's going to be on why don't I have a sweet stylus? And <laughs> for the ten minutes that it took me to cut down a limb, why can't I get a chainsaw? Spoiler: alert, I, I do have a chainsaw. So <laughs> I do not have a. I do not have a stylus, unless you consider like one of. Hold on, I think I have a pen here that's got one of those like nubs on it. Oh yeah, here it is, right here. See, a little don't nub of trick that
2: looks like a CLB pen.
0: Uh it is. Bethel Lutheran Brethren Church, Madison, Ottawa. Oh, Madison Street, Ottawa, Illinois. Shout out Bethel Lutheran Brethren Church. There it is. There I go. think Randy Mortensen is the pastor there now. So
1: uh, it's interesting as we talk about, you know, coveting and contentment and such. Um uh, this is an interesting thought. Or maybe something to think about. Um, so for example, when Luther talks about fasting, um, he'll talk about fasting in two different ways. And one one is a a self-chosen fast, right? Where where we choose uh to for a time forego food or a meal, right? But there's another kind of fast that God imposes on the Christian, on the person. And, and so he's understanding that in terms when there is lack of food or, or whatnot, and you just don't have food, maybe there's a famine and, you know, and you're, you're hungry and there's not really anything you can do about it. Luther would speak in about that in terms of a God imposed fasting. Um, and, and he would regard that second one, that God imposed fast as more spiritually beneficial Um, just in terms of degree, because the one we're choosing ourselves and we can end it whenever the other, it doesn't end until, until, or unless God chooses to end it. Right. So there's a, so there's a greater degree of, or capacity for learning dependence upon God and contentment with, with what you have. And I think that, that we can, take that into more than just food but we can understand that also in terms of just our financial situations and and whatnot too and you know to some you know god has chosen out of his out of his free freedom and and grace to give them uh a larger amount of right and others not so much. And the and the tendency, the, the temptation then very much is to is to be jealous of the one who has greater wealth. Um and that jealousy, that coveting, then it it causes us to be very discontent with what we have. But if we understand that both, you know, we can say riches and poverty for example come from the same good and gracious god and that sometimes god imposes certain fast as it were or a lack of this or that thing um not not to be arbitrary or mean or cruel but he is teaching us and working through that to teach us contentment with what we have for one thing, but also reliance upon him. Right. And, and so, you know, and so if we understand it more in that, in that way, maybe, maybe we can learn then more to be content with what we have and to try to, to, you know, quench the fires of that, Coveting, lust toward, you know, and jealousy and envy of people who have more than us. If we understand that, you know, God has what we have, just as what they have, all comes from God. Uh, he's the the one who determines, you know, how much one has versus the other. And if we understand that, they're both both of those things come from, you know, a good and gracious God um and and we understand that god is at work in both of those situations you know working on us in in a in our situation in the way that he knows best we need and he's at work with someone else in a different way in a way that he knows they need maybe we can try to kind of train ourselves to think differently about wealth and poverty and not just in terms of haves and have not, um, not just in terms of this endless struggle against, you know, you know, those who have less, you know, being jealous of and and desirous of what those who have more, you know, and, or the, you know, despising of those who have less than you, but like understanding that, all of these things come from God's good and gracious hand. And, and if we have more, we should, we should indeed look for ways to help those who, who have less, but it doesn't mean that having wealth is in itself evil or being in poverty is in itself good. But um, yeah, I don't know. There's just, have a thought I fear that like thinking about you know like when we when we have lack of things to understand it as you know for a time you know God is imposing that that lack on us for a good and and in some cases it may be the rest of our life and and I think I think that helps to make some some sense because I think sometimes we wonder you know like you know well you know, we pray for daily bread and, and all of this stuff, but there are people who still go hungry and there are people who die of starvation and, and so on and so forth. And so maybe we wonder, Oh God, why don't you just fix all of that?
3: And there are wicked people that don't pray that have feasts on their tables.
1: Right. Mm-hmm. Um, But if we can kind of think about it in terms of when we, when we have lack um, you know, especially in situations where we can't change that. If we understand that, you know, that's still part of, you know, God's good and gracious will toward, toward his people. That's still part of, you know, Romans eight, for example, you know, that, that God works all things together for good, for those who love him and called according to his purpose. And that, and it may be that, you know, God imposes a, a type of fast as that were on us for the rest of our lives. And instead of kicking against that all the time, maybe we understand, okay, you know, this is this is God's good and gracious will for me. And you know, God helped me to learn to rely on you and to be content with what I have and not be consumed and driven by the fires of lusting after every new and fancy thing that's out there or 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 to be consumed with jealousy toward those who have more or if we have if we're the ones who have more you know god help me to look for opportunities to share from the abundance you have given me with those who have less than me
3: when i share oh Can I just uh, share a couple of verses? Do you want to go ahead, Mike, and I'll read those after?
2: Yeah, sure. Uh, One of the things that always kind of helps me kind of reset when I realize I'm not being very content with what God has blessed me with in kind of either of those categories you talked about, Ben, either wanting the new thing, the fancy thing, whatever, or wanting to just hoard what I've got and not not share and not bless other people with it, because I I struggle with that. We all do. Um, One of the things that helps me kind of set my mind right uh, a little bit is, is remembering what it is that I, I deserve. Like, wh- what do I actually deserve? Take take a deep breath. Does it smell like sulfur and brimstone in here? It doesn't. Listen, do you hear tinted weeping with, and gnashing tinted of teeth? with lavender. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like, God, <laughs> I'm drawing breath today. And so no matter what I've got, God is giving me more than I deserve. Right. And It's it's all gift. It's all blessing. It's all from his hand. And I should praise him and be thankful for it rather than lusting after everything everybody else has gotten. So that does I mean, it doesn't fix it, but it helps me kind of set my mind right again to remember those things. Yeah.
3: I was just thinking of a couple verses that um, come into play with this theme that we're talking on of by grace through faith and just trusting God, and thinking of our neighbor, being content with what we have, and being concerned for our neighbor. In Hebrews 13, 5 and 6, it says, keep your life free from the love of money, and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you, nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? We just see that you know, we're not told how much there is there, we're, and uh, presuming that it's not a lot of wealth because not being to being told not to love the money and lust after it or seek it um, as if that would make you happy. But where do you find your your help? It's in the Lord, remembering He is your helper and he is the reason you don't need to be afraid. Money isn't the reason that you don't need to be afraid. Wealth or that next thing isn't what's going to provide for you and protect you. It's God. And um, and you don't even need to be afraid of any man, what they could take away from you, because if you're with God, you're trusting in him, you're going to be okay. And, and that's faith in action, isn't it? Trusting the Lord and But that also is a wonderful thing that we can say that. That's by God's grace that we can have that confidence that he is our helper. He is there for us no matter what people might even try to take from us. Um, That promise, I will never leave you nor forsake you, is beautiful. And so that's the Christian's hope, not that next thing that you want to get. But then thinking about others... Uh, Philippians two four says, "Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others." Mm-hmm. And to you know the the changed attitude and heart of a person who's truly content with God's provision and trusting in the Lord, whether you have a lot or not very much, is is to you know not only be content, but to be now concerned about other people. Um. Later in Philippians, Paul talks a lot about having learned the secret of being content in, in plenty or in want um, through the hard things and the good times. Um, and that's a peace that we can receive from the Lord as we trust in him. And we don't even need to be anxious about it, he says.
2: Well, one of the next things, unless do you guys have more on on contentment? All right, cool. One of the next things we were going to bring up is uh, is a passage from Romans 7, which is one of my favorite passages in scripture, uh, to introduce a couple mm-hmm. more concepts for us. Uh, ben, it was your idea to bring up Romans 7. Do you have verses in mind, or do you have them in front of you if you want to read them? Otherwise, I can get them if you tell me where to go. Uh, Verse 8, maybe?
1: Yeah, I would say... Like 7 through 13.
2: Okay. I've got it up in front of me in the English Standard Version, so I'll read it. What shall we say? Or what then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would have, or I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had said, had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive, and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death for me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it killed me. So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin when through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. All right. <clears throat> so Romans seven is very, very good stuff. um, And in this section here, Paul talks about what happens when, he encounters the law, right? It wasn't that the law made him to be a sinner, but it made him realize that he was a sinner, right? And especially in verse eight, there's the uh talking about coveting. You know, I didn't know what it was until the law showed up, and then it was like, oops, well, I guess I'm a coveter because I always have been.
3: Mm-hmm. And that's what the ninth and tenth commandments really do. I mean, Natal brought up earlier the commandment about stealing and that's the actual taking of stuff right but this one is going deeper into our thoughts and our heart and saying you shouldn't even be desiring to take what is your neighbors and and to lust after it or covet it um and that that really hits home for all of us because every one of us does that on a daily basis and You know, you might have felt like you got away with it because you didn't steal candy bars from the convenience store earlier. But, you know, once you realize, oh, yeah, but my thoughts, (laughs) you know, about different things and and that that's uh, like putting a stick in the hornet's nest. Right. Like (laughs) it, uh, it really stirs us up. And shows us that we're guilty of this. And it, and we tend to fight back and get rebellious about it. Um, our sinful nature does
2: when it gets um, exposed. Is it, uh, is it really fair for God to judge us on those things? I mean, like, I feel like I can't even control those things that I want and desire all the time.
3: Yeah, I mean, things seems like Um, You know, how how in the world is that fair if, you know, if we are always failing with all of that? And why is God even concerned about what I think? You know, if I'm not doing it, what's the big deal or whatever? Seems like God is just overstepping if he's really doing this. But it seems like, you know... There's, there's right and wrong, isn't there? I mean, that's what we're arguing for, is that there are right things and wrong things. And if our thoughts and our desires are objectively wrong or evil, that's still not good. And we are dealing with the God who can see all of our thoughts and the intentions of our heart. And he's not content with just obedience. He cares about truth and about heart and about our whole being and about righteousness and truth in all areas. And so he's concerned about it. And if he's also trying to transform us and save us, he's not doing it just in part or in some superficial exterior way, but in a whole and complete way, isn't he?
2: Nope. And that's it's kind of the, the whole point of everything, right, is is we we can't stop sinning. We've never been able to stop sinning. The purpose of the law is not to fix you and make you the best person ever, make you holy and righteous on your own. If the law had the power to do that, well, then why would we need a savior? Why would we need Christ? Right. And the law, the law should point us to the fact that we, we can accomplish this in thought, in word, in deed. We are going to fall short. We're going to fail. We're going to sin. We've broken God's commandments, and we're not going to make ourselves acceptable and pleasing in God's eyes by our own work and our own effort. It's just not something we can do. Mm-hmm. And that's why we have Christ. You want to, you want to talk about it, Gospel Man?
3: <laughs> well, I mean, that's what the law does. And and it when it finishes its work, right, it drives us to the cross where we should be the one crucified there. It shows us our guilt, but the amazing thing is that God uses this law to humble us and convict us in order that He might not condemn us, but that He might deliver us from it. And and Jesus states that that was His intention, was to come not to condemn and to judge, but to save, and and uh and that's available for all of us because he died for our sins on that cross in our place and uh when we realize that we're guilty of these things even our thoughts and intentions of our heart you know we can confess that to him and jesus has paid for that and and uh and when we believe in him and that he paid for our sins we are saved by the power of His name and His work, um, and and so, uh, I hope that you see as we think about this that God isn't just trying to like set up a bunch of arbitrary rules to control you or to um, uh, just make life miserable for you or something like that, but really He cares about truth and right, what is right, um, but. Ultimately, he wants to deliver you even from yourself to forgive you of your sins and, and to give you a new heart and new desires and to restore, um, restore you to a place of, of good and life and, um, and to be with you.
2: Well, Mike, I've got really bad news for you. As we ran out of time we did not get to the conclusion of the commandments so we're gonna have to tackle that next week. I hope you're okay with that
0: I, I mean I've been wrong before I'm just breaking <laughs> the eighth commandment so.
2: <laughs> right, well let's let's close <laughs> up in a word of prayer and we'll uh we'll close these out next week fingers yeah, right. crossed no promises. Yeah, right. I'm not so bold as to make those promises.
0: I'll make that assertion we're we're ending the Ten Commandments next week. <laughs>
2: Let's pray. Father God, thanks for today and thanks for this time that we could look into your word and to Luther's small catechism. Um, Thank you for all of the commandments that you have given to us. They show us our sin. They expose that we have fallen short of your glory and can't fix ourselves. But Lord, also thank you for Christ. Thank you for sending your only son to put on flesh. To live the perfect life we could not live, to die the death we deserved, and to rise again to new life in victory over sin, death, and the devil. God would point us again to Jesus and strengthen us for your work. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. Thanks, guys. Amen.
3: Thank you.